0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website Johnson's Air Conditioning. Also, brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. Visit the website naplesillustrated.com. And when you do, sign up for On the Town, giving you some of the highlights of things that are going on, or not, on the Paradise Coast. We have great guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about uh, how the Supreme Court may have subverted the Constitution since the New Deal. We'll pick up with campaign finance reform. Andrew Jopper, professor at Mercy College and author Josephus of will be joining us, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books, his latest, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure and Our Future. It is April the 15th, typically Tax Day, but uh, that's been delayed now until July 15th because of the coronavirus. But on this day in 1947, Jackie Robinson, aged 28, became the first African American player in the Major League Baseball. When he stepped onto Ebbets Field in Brooklyn to compete for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he broke the color barrier in sports that had been segregated for more than 50 years. Exactly 50 years later, on April 15, 1997, his groundbreaking career was honored and his uniform number, number 42, was retired from Major League Baseball by Commissioner Bud Selig in a ceremony attended by 50,000 fans in New York City's Shea Stadium. Robinson was the first ever number retired by all teams in the Major Leagues. Jackie Roosevelt Robinson was born on January 31, 1919 in Cairo, Georgia, Georgia, to a family of sharecroppers. Growing up he excelled at sports and attended the University of California at Los Angeles where he was the first athlete to letter in four varsity sports, baseball, basketball, football and track. After financial difficulties forced Robinson to drop out of UCLA. He joined the army in 1942 and was commissioned as a second lieutenant. After protesting instances of racial discrimination during his military service he was court-martialed in 1944. Ultimately, though, he was honorably discharged. After the Army, he played for a season in the Negro Baseball League. And in 1946, he spent one season with the Canadian minor league team in the Montreal Royals. In 1947, he was called up to the majors and soon became a star infielder and outfielder for the Brooklyn Dodgers, as well as the National League's Rookie of the Year. In 1949, the right-hander was named the National League's most valuable player and the league batting champion, uh, Rob Robinson played on the National League All-Star team from 49 to 54 and led the Dodgers to six National League pennants and one World Series. In 1955. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962, his very first year of eligibility. Despite his talent and success as a player, he faced tremendous racial discrimination throughout his career from baseball fans and some fellow players. Additionally, Jim Crow laws prevented him, can you imagine this? From using the same hotels and restaurants as his teammates while playing in the South. After retiring from baseball, he became a businessman and civil rights activist and died on October the 24th, 1972 at the age of 53 in Stamford, Connecticut. Broke the color barrier in major sports around the United States and around the world. Jackie Robinson. Well, COVID-19 cases in kaya were up to 380 now. Uh, we had our fifth death a couple days ago on Monday. He was, again, 85 years of age. I continue to wonder about the cause of death for somebody age 85. Anyhow, a single-day increase of 72 brought the nationwide the statewide death toll to 571. In the last seven days, the state's number of reported deaths have increased by 92%, according to April 7th and 14th end-of-day figures. So, uh, again, up 92%. But, again, the total 571. In addition, the number of hospitalizations also broke into a new category on Tuesday as the number surged to 3,050. According to the Florida Department of Health, that number may not accurately represent the number of COVID-19 patients currently in the hospital, as some have been released. A majority of the state's reported hospitalizations are patients in the age of 65 to 84, which is also a large group, mostly associated with the state's rising death toll. Stanford University professor of Medicine J uh, oh I can't pronounce this bat, but it's a, it's an Indian name. He said on Tucker Carlson last night that he believes that actual death rate from the coronavirus pandemic likely is order t- orders of magnitude lower than the initial estimates. The problem of course, is that we don't have a vaccine. So that, in, in a sense, it's more deadly and more widespread than the flu, and it overwhelms hospital systems the way the flu doesn't. So, in my opinion, the reason we're taking some of these precautions is to prevent the health care system from having a, a crisis. But we do have more empty beds than we thought. The president, of course, has uh, pro- provided a lot of beds in, in key spots, hot spots around the nation. Irrespective, uh, the death rate doesn't appear to be as high as, likely, as, as uh, usual or as expected. We'll talk about that later in the show. U.S. equity markets rallied yesterday as concerns over the virus ease and early-stage plans of reopening some pockets of the economy are starting to take shape. The Dow is up 559 points yesterday, more than making up for some of the loss on Monday. The NAS- Nasdaq, which exited bear market, surged nearly 4%, stretching its winning streak to four days, the longest since February. Well, right now, futures are down. I'm talking about the Dow futures, about 400. So it looks like my opinion, probably is going to just flip-flop with pretty large uh, volatility uh, for the next few days until this whole thing gets straightened out financially. So White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow said President Trump is preparing to make a very important announcement on reopening the economy. Uh, In an interview yesterday, he said the President will most likely share guidelines in favor of reopening parts of the country at some regions, show more progress than others, He added that the administration's goal is to get people back to work, but it's a question of health and safety combined. Kudlow said the president will make the announcements later this week, and his decision will depend on data from health experts. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is working with Senate Minority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer on a fourth coronavirus relief package. Senate Democrats blocked Republican efforts to pass a $250 billion additional funding for small businesses last week while calling for more money for hospitals and state governments. Mnuchin has expressed an openness to these demands, and Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is facing pressure to agree. The Small Business Administration expected to announce this week that funding for the Paycheck Protection Plan needs to be replenished, and if the deal is reached this week, the Senate vote could happen as early as tomorrow. Well, the U.S. will suspend funding to the World Health Organization while it reviews the agency's response to the COVID 19 pandemic, President Trump announced yesterday, saying that the international health agencies have made mistakes that caused so much death as the coronavirus spread across the globe. Today, I'm instructing my administration to halt funding of the World Health Organization while I review its conduct. Uh, While a review is conducted to assess the World Health Organization's role in severely mismanaging and covering up the spread of the coronavirus, he said. He criticized the international agency's response to the outbreak, saying one of the most dangerous and costly decisions from the WHO was uh, its disastrous decision to oppose travel restrictions from China and other nations, he said. I think this is a good move. Quite frankly, I think we ought to review Uh, all the funding for the U.N. and other agencies like the U.N., and uh, they should be accountable. You know, what are they providing to us? Well, what they provided to us during this pandemic is uh, bad advice, and uh, we can certainly get better advice than what they're offering for the $400 billion uh, we're paying them uh, to, to conduct their activities. Uh, protests are being planned for several states in coming weeks at America, as Americans begin to push back against highly restrictive orders for governors who have ordered residents to stay at home, shut down businesses, and even cut off the purchase of seasoned plants. Of course, we're talking about Gretchen Whitmer in that case in, in uh, Wisconsin, I'm sorry, Michigan. Uh, the so-called drive-by demonstration in order to maintain social distancing aims to bring traffic to a gridlock in Lansing, Michigan and pro- protest the stay-home, stay-safe executive order by Whitmer. But this is happening in other plates in the, places in the country. Ohio's having some demonstrations. In other words, people are getting fed up and saying, hey, we want to get back to work. And everybody should uh, want that right now. Restrictive, uh, again, uh, Attorney general uh, Bill Barr is monitoring government regulation of religious services. This is just one of the elements, of course, that these governors are uh, hammering down on. Parishioners who attended a drive-in service at Temple Baptist Church in Mississippi were being fined $500 each by police for violating social distancing orders. 20 police cars swarmed King James Bible Baptist Church in Mississippi and Pastor Charles Hamilton was told by a cop that his rights were suspended. So uh, Attorney General Bill Barr is looking into this. He said, "Look, if you're going to allow businesses like restaurants to operate, uh, but have a different standard for religious services, that's not right." He says we're going to look into this and do a deep dive on the stuff. Just very grateful for Attorney General Bill Barr standing up for our rights as citizens. So. Again, individual liberty it's critical and during this pandemic we can see the creep of power that uh, many especially uh, Democrats want to take in, under the circumstances. Oh, by the way, finally, Democrat Georgia state representative Vernon Jones has defied his party and endorsed President Donald Trump's reelection. He also slammed Biden saying his policies have devastated a generation of African-American families. He's endorsed Trump on Tuesday, praising the president for the economy criminal justice reform, and a support for historically black colleges. Isn't that refreshing? I hope that creates some leadership among the black population of the South. Again, Vernon Jones, he's a Democrat, supporting President Donald Trump. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about how the Supreme Court has subverted the Constitution since the New Deal. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) Stay tuned for more
0: of The Bob Harden Show, here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music. And a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. Until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Luluby's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Luluby's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Ballshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps in the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. back to the Bob
0: Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the air. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. Well, of course, that's after this pandemic. You can find out more by visiting the very robust website, FGA.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he's a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and we are devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web.
1: Cato.org, great website as well. So Bob, uh, we we're talking about uh, how, raising the question, has the Constitution been subverted by the Supreme Court, especially since the New Deal, and certainly we've uncovered some evidence that that certainly is the case. Let's pick up where we stopped with the campaign re- finance reform. And uh, some people say that the First Amendment relates to speech, not to the expenditure of money. Is money the same thing as speech?
2: No, money is not uh, the same as speech, but the, I think the important point is that if the money is spent for the exclusive purpose of generating speech, then it becomes so, you know, entwined and intermingled with the speech <clears throat> that it should be protected to the same extent as the speech is uh, protected. So, you know, exercising the right to speak almost always costs money, especially if you want to reach a large audience. mm mm-hmm. Uh, The right right to speak necessarily means the right to pay for the speech, just as, for example, the right to legal counsel means you have a right to hire a lawyer, and the right to free exercise of religion means you have the right to contribute to whatever church you, you choose. So in each of those cases... The expenditure of the money is protected, and it's not because money is speech or money is a lawyer or money is religion. Mm-hmm. It's because spending money is part of the exercise of the right to speak or to have legal counsel or to exercise uh, religious freedom. And, and government limits on spending for speech will necessarily restrict uh, the freedom of the speech itself. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in a sense, you know, this argument that money is not speech... I think the whole argument is misstated. You have to realize how intertwined the expenditure is with the resultant speech.
1: And, of course, things get very convoluted uh, when people try to bypass the limitations that are put on that because of this campaign finance reform. So isn't there still a problem when big corporations exercise improper influence on the political process?
2: Um, Maybe. You know, there there are no limits right now on how much George Soros uh, can spend or Mike Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. Um, of their own money they can spend whatever they want on political advertising so the question really is why shouldn't you and I be able to match them not out of our own pockets but by joining forces Mm -hmm. uh, through an entity such as a corporation uh, that expresses the policy preferences that, uh, that we favor and if there's some shareholders in the corporation that don't like it they have an obvious remedy you know they can sell their stock So, you know, government has rarely been able to prove that there's actual corruption from campaign contributions. And when there's proof, uh, there are plenty of uh, laws on the books, some of which are criminal laws, uh, that address that. But instead, since they haven't been able to prove that, uh, to justify these campaign regulations, uh, government insists that we have to prevent not, not corruption, but the appearance of corruption. And I would suggest that mere suspicions are no basis for ignoring uh, the Constitution. You know, half of our states have minimal campaign finance laws, and there's no indication that those states are any more corrupt than the other half. So it's typically, it's not money that affects a candidate's position. It's rather the reverse. The candidate has a position, and that attracts money from people who sympathize uh, with that position. So the real reason for these restrictions is not to prevent corruption. That's just a stated reason. What it really is is to protect people who are already in office, to protect incumbents. Uh, If you restrict advertising, then you restrict the ability of, you know, upstart challengers to defeat these guys that have been in Washington uh, for sometimes decades.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Isn't it a fact that about 94% of the people who are in office are run for re-election get re-elected, so uh, it's pretty much of a closed-loop process. <laughs> with, Indeed, with Kim-
2: and they have all the name recognition, and they have the franking privilege, and they have all sorts of other advantages that can be overcome if mm-hmm. uh, their opponent has a, um, a treasure chest that they can... They can spend, but when you put limits on on campaign contributions, you almost guarantee that the guy who's already in office is going to stay there. And you also, by the way, uh, prevent <clears throat> any uh, uh, third-party candidates from emerging because they can't run a campaign uh, without uh, significant amounts, amounts of money unless they fund it out of their own pocket like Michael Bloomberg could have done.
1: Yeah. So bottom line then, Bob, what should be done about the huge campaign expenditures that we see? They just continue to balloon.
2: I think the answer is um, either either uh, more expenditures, which generates more speech, or ultimately, you know, if, if the system doesn't work, if we really do find that there's corruption, then we need a constitutional amendment. Uh, we can't just treat the Constitution like it's so much paper. Um, and as for the money, I think it's just a symptom. I mean, really, what the problem is, we got this overweening government that's wormed its way into every aspect of our lives, and so you have this pervasive uh, regulatory state and redistributive state, and that creates huge incentives for profiteering. So the, the, you know, there's a big money problem uh, because there's a big government problem. Uh, if you cut government down to size. Uh, we can minimize the influence of of big money to the extent that it's uh, that the influence is outsized. If you want to restore uh, the nation, the framer, framers' notion of uh, enumerated powers and delegated powers and limited powers, that'll get government to, uh, out of our lives and out of our wallets, and that's the best way to end uh, whatever campaign finance problems there 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 might be. We can root out this uh, so-called corruption, or even the appearance of corruption, Mm -hmm. without jeopardizing political speech.
1: Yeah, a lot of these rules and laws are made, and they end up just hampering the behavior of very honest people. If there's crooks in government, they're going to figure out ways to bypass the laws. So uh, maybe we should address that problem and quit trying to inhibit the behavior of honest people. Indeed. Yeah. I agree entirely. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, I genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you so much. And, again, the name of the website is Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. They do a great job. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Andrew is a professor at Mercy College. Uh, He's also the author of uh, Josephus of Oz. uh, You can go to uh, any website. Josephus of Oz. It's off-topic for today's discussion. We're going to be talking a little bit about the giant mouse that roared. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pickup curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261 8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence retail wine store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m. and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
0: back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa. Andrew's also a professor, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. So, Andy, we we're talking a little bit off-air about uh, sources of good information uh, during this, and there's a lot of conflicting information out there. Where do you go?
3: Well, there's there's no better sources from my perspective, Bob, than American Thinker. American Thinker is comprised of uh, many authors. They're not uh, paid authors uh, for American Thinker, but they contribute uh, on a daily basis. There's hundreds. Uh, Over the period of a year, they do. Their uh, articles are typically well researched, well documented, and I can't think of a single better source on a daily basis to go to.
0: Hmm.
2: Uh,
3: I would also suggest that the Heartland Institute does some of the most uh, actual in depth uh, assessment of um, uh, things that are going on economically and politically in America uh i would recommend for your uh, for your audience uh, two articles uh, in uh published by our heartland institute uh pandemic or recession recession which is more costly that was on april 13th and another one which is uh coronavirus may kill but so does economic disruption and that was published on 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 april 1st uh so i think the most important commodity right now for the american people is information Information that can at least be reasonably trusted i I would suggest that uh, the information coming out of the the official sources is so uh, varied in its in its impact, so contradictory in its impact that uh, uh, it 's amazing that uh, we 're not being driven crazy uh, by the absolute variance in the information we 're getting. But let me just tell a little anecdotal story which I think illustrates something. Uh, uh, perhaps not information, but it it makes a point the the ease with which we've accepted regimentation uh, in our country mm-hmm. uh, and the suppression of freedom to a large extent. I do the family shopping because my wife is an asthmatic, and I go to Publix, and Publix has now put arrows on the floor. Uh, indicating the direction you can walk in the aisles. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, I was in the store the other day, and a young man was walking down the wrong way (laughs) in an aisle. An older woman confronted him, stopped him in the middle of the aisle, and started to berate this young fellow for walking the wrong way. He was absolutely bewildered. He had no, no idea what was going on. So just an anecdotal story to... Indicate not only have we accepted the regimentation, accepted the loss of freedom, but we have begun to impose it on our uh, on our neighbors in in, in many ways. So um, those two sources, getting back to that original point, American thinker and Heartland, uh, and also the the very serious issue of um, uh, how to the degree that we're willing to accept the loss of what theoretically and historically have been called inalienable rights. And revealed those so readily to the uh, to the misinformation, misdirection that's been given by many of the medical authorities and certainly by the media over the past several months, Bob.
1: Well, and uh, that's my major concern through all this. I mean, uh, there's a number of concerns we have about the economy, about health, and a number of things. But the extension of the police state—that uh, you know—I think power is uh, addictive. It's kind of like, kind of like a drug, and people who have it. Uh, and they start to use it. They say, hey, that was fun. Let's do it some more. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little facetious now, but the point is this. We're beginning to see, I was just talking to Bob Levy, for example, who is a chairman of the Cato Institute. He likes to hike, and he goes to hiking trails uh, where there's about 60 miles of hiking trails. They're closed. He said, Bob, I haven't seen three people on those trails uh, when I was out hiking before, and now we've closed the trails. This is ah, yeah. It's its just, uh well, now it's a small example, but it's an example of, how people, I think, are getting fed up with this and concerned. I'm pleased that, for example, Bill Barr is making some comments about religious services. Uh, You know, somebody who's actually saying, I'm watching this and I want to stand up for people's rights.
3: Well, you probably saw the story where people were fined for being in their car and listening to a service being presented to them on their car radios. Yes. And, And those people were fined. They were in total uh self isolation by being in a car with the windows closed and yet these people were 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 fine <clears throat> so we're looking at a such a circumstance and Lord Acton it said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely i uh, i don't quite agree with that i think what happens when uh when people get power is it exposes the essential characteristic that they've always had hmm. but with power now they can fulfill it so i think we're seeing that a lot with the uh, with the uh, mid-level uh, politicians, the uh, the governors, the, the state representatives, and so forth, and many of these actions, these extreme actions, are being taken at that relatively local level because now, Bob, uh, they have power to be who they've always been, Bob.
1: Well, that could be the other part of it too. Is if you're in, if you're in office, there's an expectation that you're going to do something, you know, about the situation, whatever that might be. And one of the wisest comments I've heard is, during a crisis like this, uh, we're in a crisis, undo something. (laughs) In other
3: words, stay. You know, being a management specialist, one of my major themes was management that functions least functions best, but your point is absolutely correct. Uh, Unfortunately, managers, political leaders being managers, they, they do have this compulsion to act. Uh, regardless of whether it's needed or not. And it's within those compulsions to act, uh, that many of our problems are derived, Bob. So, uh, we're in the middle of, of that situation at this point. Uh, I can honestly say that the contributions of Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks have been absolutely useless. I mean, that sounds extreme, but I would suggest that I could have done exactly what they've done as poorly as they've done it. Yeah. Uh, when I say poorly, I mean they've, they've misdirected, they've been wrong about their projections, uh, and I've seen nothing in what they've offered uh, that was of any essential value uh, to the country, and particularly to the president. And by uh, by their public offerings, uh, they've somewhat captured uh, President Trump uh, into a model that it's it's going to be very, very hard for him to escape from. Uh, originally, the model was to uh, to self-quarantine, to eliminate the uh, spike, the high-level moment of 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 uh, of covid-19 cases now that's been expanded to be the, the self quarantining to in fact uh eliminate the disease itself mm-hmm. at what point bob will there be no cases uh, that will in fact uh take the pressure off the american people and allow the economic system to at at least start to restore itself i know your your show yesterday was somewhat dedicated to that theme um and i uh, it's whether it will happen will be a, a factor of the, the the politicians and of course the media will mm-hmm. they allow it to happen uh... it's it's a very difficult situation to see unfolding without the the press uh... getting in the middle of it because ultimately this is a political problem we're talking about bob yep. This is a problem directed at the defeat of donald trump uh, and again that may sound extreme to those listeners who are uh, are, are not involved with the political process but this is a a process dedicated, as it's been for the last three and a half years, to defeat President Donald Trump. Uh,
1: there's no question. You just watch the behavior of these... Uh people in the uh, press room. Uh, you know, when the president calls them out, he played this video yesterday. I just, it makes me laugh. It's, it's he just, he just he eviscerated these these people. And you could tell it's all the beginning of the process to try to discredit him because of how he's handled this situation. And he used their own language. I don't know if you saw the uh, presser or not, but it was really quite remarkable. I, I lose track
3: of what I've seen at this
1: point. <laughs> all right, Andy. Well, look, we got so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? I will be here. All right. We're going to have some more here, right here on the Bob Harden Show, on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Kaya County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed. Curbside Drop-Off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774 774-
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. Well, of course, that's after this pandemic. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. He is a professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us
3: good to be with
1: you Rob. So Andy, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening with this uh, pandemic. Before we do, though, I just want to touch on the Joe Biden campaign and what's going on. He got the endorsement of the president, finally, after he's the last man standing for uh, vice pres- for presidential candidate for the Democrat Party. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, I'm still not convinced that Biden will be the nominee, although he's a presumptive nominee at this point. It's hard to believe that he will actually be the nominee, but uh, I think Cuomo was getting a lot of press. The New York Times, Washington Post have uh, recently uh, uh, published articles indicating the uh, the sexual uh, issues associated with Joe Biden, which they haven't done before, which mm-hmm. might indicate that there's an internal pressure in the Democratic Party and their support system in the media uh, to, in fact, undermine <clears throat> Joe Biden and and move in Cuomo. Uh, I would like to make the point that the press is not going to allow COVID nineteen to become other than the the most uh, dangerous factor in America until or if and god forbid it's if um, a democrat becomes president in january of 2021 at that point the press will take a more uh, meaningful position on that and the uh, the the terror of this disease will be behind us but until that moment as long as president trump is in office the press will continue to antagonize the situation and in fact do great great damage to america so uh, again one, once more i I don't see Biden getting the nomination. it's hard to imagine I think Cuomo uh perhaps is the most likely it would require a withdrawal of Joe Biden uh, from the campaign. I believe that's why Bernie Sanders uh dropped out because again, if Joe Biden had withdrawn, the <clears throat> presumptive nominee would then automatically become Bernie Sanders. so Sanders had to be out of the way to clear the way for the nomination of Andrew Cuomo. And I'm going out on a limb by making that a sort of a, a firm prediction, but I think it's the most likely most likely situation, Bob. Well,
1: there's a couple things happening, guy. Uh, first of all, uh, well, uh Biden is his own presentation. I mean, he's uh... frail, he's uh so unsure of himself. He he wanders off the camera. He's he's not able to lead i mean just i don't know how he could possibly win the election especially when his all these things are exposed and of course we've got another report coming out on what's happening in, in uh In the campaign, I think that's going to splash on Biden substantially, and then of course he's got this sexual assault problem that happened back in the '90s Uh, that will continue to plague him as well. I think you're right. I think he's a placeholder. I think ultimately the Democrats realize they can't win with Joe Biden. I think they'll find somebody else, maybe a Bloomberg, maybe it's a uh, Cuomo. I I mean, I think those are two choices, but uh, I think ultimately he will not be the nominee. Just my Opinion, and quite frankly, I think there's a lot of evidence to the contrary he, because he's getting the support of the of uh, President Barack Obama, uh, past president. But uh, it's it's just really stunning to see what's going on. May I, uh Here's a, here's a, a comment actually from a reporter in Australia, and she is quite. <laughs> She says, jo- Joe Biden is not able to lead. He can't even hold an on- uh, online town hall without wandering off the ca- camera. No matter how hard the Democrats and their allies in the media try, Biden's cognitive issues can no longer be ignored. There is simply too much footage of these Charlie Sheen levels of confusion to gaslight the American public. Biden has appeared frail, perplexed, and just all- odd on too many public occasions. I think she is absolutely right with that.
3: And she even understates the problem. Although I would look back to 2016, I saw Hillary Clinton being the most corrupt politician ever to run for the office of the presidency, and yet she, she pulled in some incredible numbers. I think you and I and the reporter in Australia are trying to be rational and logical. Um, is, is, are those going to be the dominating factors for the choice? I, I would suspect they will be there. Uh, they, they do, uh, their, their whole, uh, raison petra is to defeat Donald Trump. Uh, if they don't think Biden can do it, and you pointed this out, uh, I think they will make a move away from Biden. I, he'll be pressured to drop out. Uh, and, in fact, someone, perhaps Bloomberg, I'm, I'm more inclined uh, for, for Cuomo at this point. Uh, but when you look at the Democratic Party and the candidates they feel, for the for the uh, possible nomination, it's just uh, absolutely amazing that they've not been able to put forth a, a meaningful, purposeful candidate for the presidency of the United States, Bob.
1: Oh, uh, you know, you bring up a good point. I'd forgotten about how Hillary Clinton had was so actually well, kind of collapsed at, at several points, and uh, uh, the the press just stood up for her. I mean, they just propped her up and continued. Uh, <laughs> It, it it is unbelievable,
3: and and if Biden can dodge the debate process, uh, and certainly with the uh, presumptive nominee status that he has now, that won't happen in the Democratic primaries. Uh, if he can dodge that bullet with the uh, the presidential debates, uh, then uh, gosh knows, because again, all we're going to be re- uh, hearing is written comments from uh, from Biden, and the support process from the press will be uh, un- unrelenting. So. It's not impossible that Biden would become the nominee and would be a strong candidate, not because he's personally strong, but the propping-up system would, in fact, be there. We know that approximately 43% of the American people are going to vote against Donald Trump automatically, mm-hmm. with with absolutely no concern for who, who they're voting for. They're voting against, will be voting against Donald Trump. So... Uh, I think we 're looking at a situation where we 're talking perhaps a six or seven percent undecided, of those people who have the possibility of moving uh, that 's all we 're really talking about, so you know of course, it waits to be seen. Um, I think the covid nineteen will continue to be leveraged uh, into a process of attacking uh, attacking the president uh, and again, as I said before, he has no easy way of escaping from this if he opens up the economy. Uh, as I think you've said before, every death that is recorded will be uh, seen as a uh, as a Donald Trump death. Uh, speaking of that, let let me just make a point for for your senior listeners, Bob. Uh, I am one of them. Um, they keep using age as a factor of vulnerability in itself. It is not. Mm-hmm. Age is not a factor of vulnerability. Uh, actually, uh, across all age categories. Less than one percent of the population in those categories, without existing uh, health vulnerabilities, are, are susceptible uh, to being uh, being uh, killed by the COVID nineteen virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just so happens that the uh, those that are that are older happen to have more underlying health problems. But right. if they do not, they are no more vulnerable to this disease than anyone in any age category. So I, I just wanted to make that point because. Uh, that continue to use age in itself uh, as a factor of vulnerability, and, and it isn't, Bob.
1: Well, and the other thing that I see, of course, is uh, I wonder if uh, perhaps uh, there's not higher reimbursement by Medicare, di- different agencies for uh, the cause of death uh, coronavirus associated with coronavirus uh, or COVID-19. In my mind, uh, I, th- I think there are a lot of ways that uh, this whole thing can be misrepresented, quite frankly, to concerns. Well, we,
3: we know that the uh, amount of pneumonia deaths that are recorded uh, annually has dropped precipitously, right. indicating that at this point, all pneumonia deaths are being recorded as COVID 19 deaths. Yeah, yeah. So the, the pneumonia deaths that, are, that have an annual number that's fairly predictable have dropped dramatically. Uh, again, indicating that those pneumonia deaths, almost in their entirety, have been shifted into the COVID nineteen category.
1: absolutely, well, of course, the uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi had a two hour uh, phone meeting with uh, her con- her the members of the House, and she called uh, Trump's handling of uh, the situation almost sinful. <laughs> in the call, and we know that Schiff is already putting together a, 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 a some sort of a committee to inquire about how the president's handled this situation. So you can see this whole thing unfolding. It's so just another chapter in the in the attempt to take down Trump, and it's it's really a shame because it's a lot of resources being directed away from something that could be very productive. It would be great if they could
3: Someone may have a disagreement with Donald Trump about the way he's handled us, but the man is, is, is doing uh, a, a yeoman's job in trying to uh, to hold this country together. He's he's uh, dealing with multi issues, not only the COVID nineteen but the economic issues. And there's only one person in this country who has that uh, absolute responsibility, and that's Donald Trump. And um, you know, to to be attacking him as viciously as they've attacked him is is really is really a shame that this uh, this man who's struggling hard to make this country work. Um, is being uh, being so attacked by his inferiors, and that's uh, bothersome to me and to any person who has a sense of fairness about them.
1: So you wrote a column about uh, uh, making a case for the fact that we're in an asymmetric war that doesn't involve guns and bombs and those types of things. It's all about uh, the, the attempt by the Chinese to, to dominate the world uh, I'm not. We're not going to have a chance to talk about that today, Andy. So I'm going to post it on my website. I hope our listeners will go to. Correct- I
3: would like to get back to that perhaps next week. It'll still be an issue, and I think it's an important issue. It's one that's not being identified, uh, and I think it must be at least considered within our future planning process.
1: I absolutely agree with that, Andy Chapa. Again, uh, Josephus Savaz is the name of the book. Not on topic for today's discussion, but it is a terrific read. Andy, just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Stay healthy, Bob. You as well. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of seven books, his latest, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience each advertising package includes a banner on bobharden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence and many others who advertise on the show call me at 598-3889 that's 598-3889 or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget, you'll be pleasant surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden@hotmail.com. at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And after this coronavirus, there's going to be some great programs for young people in your life. So check out the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. His latest book, as I mentioned, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. I'm reading it right now. It's a terrific read. Uh, He also has his own column in uh, Newsmax. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thank you. My pleasure, indeed. Uh, I want to talk to you about the modeling and how it's affected some of the information that we're uh, seeing, not only with the coronavirus, but climate change. Before I do, you'd also mentioned uh, a very close friend who had passed this past week, Dr. Fred Singer. Uh, Any comments or thoughts at all?
4: Yeah, um, I mentioned mentioned Dr. Singer, Fred Singer, who uh, was a good friend of many thousands of us who are interested in the in the climate issue and lack thereof, uh, uh, Fred was a uh, former. Princeton PhD, and he got a another honorary doctoral degree from uh, Ohio State University. And he was founder and director of the U.S. Weather Satellite Service and chief engineer for the Department of Transportation. He had a number of awards, including you know, a special award from uh, President Eisenhower for his sick con- contribution to developing global you know, uh, weather satellites and so on. So he's, but he, was, but he was really a marvelous man and he got me interested in the in the climate issue and looking at climate science. And it was always, I was counting on him to do a lot of fact-checking for me and he was uh, such a friend, he encouraged me to write my my first book and my second book and uh, on the subject and so you'll be you'll be sadly missed by many 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 of us
1: well and a great contributor and i will say that if he encouraged you to write your two books on climate change they are fantastic uh the uh it's uh well uh it's uh Profits and Profits of Climate Doom. I forgot the name of the book, but uh, in any event, uh, the great reads, and of course your latest. I'm scared book. to go list, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Professor, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the modeling issue that you brought up in a p- uh, column that's going to be published here today. It's called uh, "I'm uh, Climate uh, Coronavirus and Climate Projections Illustrate Modeling Problems." Why well, is that the case? Maybe you could tell us about it.
4: Yeah, I, I guess it, it ties back with this 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 climate stuff, where uh, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, you know, the United Nations created, they come up with these really alarmist uh, projections that you know we're you know oceans are rising and yada yada yada. We're you know we're we're cooked, you know, and <laughs> and so much of this, you know, virtually all of it's based upon models. And there's not, I mean, nothing more complex to model than the climate because it's really chaotic. chaotic uh, it's a chaotic system, and it's influenced by so many different things. You know, activities in the sun and and uh, El Ninos and La Ninas and, and and just a whole lot, whole host of things. And it's been sort of suggested that um, that the control knob is all con- carbon dioxide, and, and you turn the control knob up and Climate gets hot, you know, with more carbon dioxide and so on. Well, you know, if, if if it doesn't match the model, they just assume there's more carbon dioxide and they keep pushing more and more of that in. So, so the climate models and nearly hundred of them have been just egregiously off. Mm-hmm. And yet we're seeing the Green New Deal and all these other you know windmills and sunbeams and all these other proposals based upon climate models that have never never worked. They've never. You know, they, you can't even reverse engineer them from the you know to 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 create you know, to predict climate of the past. So, right, and of course, uh, and lot of that I think has been manipulated of manipulation of temperatures and so on. That's but all the all the gloom and doom and fear stuff is really predicated on models, uh, climate models that are computer models that. I'm not saying these. You know, the the modelers are, are bad people, are incompetent people, but you can't model it. It's just it's just too complicated. So we we can't take it seriously. And even even IPCC admits that they can't. They shouldn't be used for projections. Yeah. Now now we fast forward to the coronavirus thing, and we see how they've had to readjust the you know the numbers of 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 cases and deaths and so on, and Here, it's it's a little bit different situation. It's it's still driving policy, but it's a kind of a moving target because models are only as good as the accuracy of the assumptions you put into them. Mm -hmm. And there's been so little known about this virus. It's new, you know, how it spreads and so on. And there's both been misinformation from the World Health Organization, and there's just a lot of us just not knowing how to predict it. You know, we haven't had the the way to measure all the cases and and yet we're looking for, and I say we, it's the president, the governors and mayors and all of us looking for saying, well, what's gonna happen? You know, is it going to plateau? Is you know, how many people are actually dying versus getting the disease and and becoming infected and so on. So we depend on models and we see now how the models are constantly being reduced, you know, downward in terms of the projections can't believe the modelers really, because they can only model based upon what they, the information they have. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is that we we use models as guides, but when we start taking them as oracles and believe that that what they project represents the real world, uh, it comes down to we have to use common sense and, and 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 we have to be suspicious of all scientific claims until they're proven and. Mm-hmm. Look at how how the you know cl- conclusions are derived and so on. So, none of it's simple. It's all difficult, and there's probably no one size fit all to solution to when we leave. You know, different when we leave our homes and stop self sequestering. Right. Uh, it's just it's it's a very complex situation.
1: It is indeed, and uh, the fact of the matter is that life has risk. Life is risky. Things happen all the time. And uh, we have people dying for a number of causes across, across the country. I saw one, uh, co- some commentary that suggested that actually life itself is more risky than the coronavirus because because wow. people are going to die. I mean, so that's just a fact of life. So are, are we overthinking this? Are we overdoing it? I mean, I think we should just allow people to go back to work. You know, uh, you want to, I want to continue my life. I'm sure you do too. All of us have our own personal health and welfare in, in mind. So we can make some decisions about whether we should go to work or not. Uh, let's just open this thing up and let people make decisions for themselves.
4: Well, I think, I think you're right. I think well, of the problem that, that when we had, I think it was the right thing to lock down the country. Nobody knew where this was going and right. the virus you know, is a whole new situation. So I don't, you know, I think everyone, you know, most people, bipartisan, they believe that it was the right thing to do. Right. The question now is, uh, you know, I'm in that I'm in that vulnerable age group, big time, and uh, you know, and I've thought all along, we've got to get the people who can back to work; they can get back to work and get the company going again, get the country going again, because because people my age, people in all ages, where they're where they're losing their pensions, they're losing their life savings, and they're you know losing everything. It does no good to keep every to to shut down the the country i'm going to have to I'm going to have to use common sense and and you know i'm i'm I have a comfortable home and a loving companion and I have my dog and I have what i need and i have i can still I can still teach using zoom and i can you know, which i do and so on so I still write uh, but I think we you know those of us who are vulnerable. Have, should have the common sense to use our common
1: sense. Uh, well said, and, Professor. Absolutely well said. Again, I just want to remind our listeners about the name of your book. It's a great read. It's called Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure and Our Future by Professor Larry Bell. Professor, I wish we had more time to discuss this. I really appreciate your coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Well, I appreciate being
1: invited. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Very, uh, I really—if you take a look at his resume, it is unbelievable what he's accomplished in his life. Professor Larry Bell, and again, I encourage you to go to Newsmax. dot uh, and check out his column on point. It'll be showing up today about the uh, modeling issue. Uh, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you join us tomorrow. We we'll have great guests lined up. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>